So, well, hey, welcome this morning. I'm Glenn Barnes. I'm uh, uh, the pastor here, and I just love being with you. I love being a part of this church. This is a place that I've really grown and, and, uh, and changed and made big differences in my life and my family's life. And so I'm glad that you are here um, as we open up God's Word together. So hopefully you received uh, some message notes as you came in, and I'd encourage you to grab those. I uh, would love for you to follow along um, in your Bible. If you brought one, it's in uh, Romans chapter 13. If not, there's a, a Bible right in front of you, and we are going to uh, get there in just a, a few minutes. But I got to tell you, one of my all-time favorite movies, and maybe this is you too, one of my all-time favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans here? Um, I know, it's great stuff. Um, now, The Lord of the Rings, of course, comes from the books that were first read, they were originally read by an exhausted and an overwhelmed British nation. You see, J.R. Tolkien wrote them right toward the end of World War II. And he wrote them knowing that people were very anxious, knowing that people were very afraid of an uncertain future that their nation and really the whole world faced at that time. They didn't like the times that they were living in. Uh, They wanted to be over with those. They were tired uh, of being uh, afraid. They were tired of being divided. They were ready for a change. Now, the truth is, I think those days were much more dangerous, much more difficult than even the days that we are living in now. But I think that kind of just general sense of anxiety and nothing seems to be quite right, I think a lot of us can maybe relate to that in the days that we are living in today. And in one of the great scenes in that book and in the movie, uh, the little hobbit Frodo, who ends up being kind of the surprising hero of the story, is almost like the voice of, for the whole British nation. Uh, when he he has an encounter with the wise wizard Gandalf. And and Frodo says this. He says, I don't like the times that I'm living in. I don't want these responsibilities. I don't want this fear. And then he says this. He says, I wish none of this would have ever happened. And then the wise wizard Gandalf replies with these words. He says, so do all who live to see such times, but it is not for them to decide. All we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that has been given to us. And that little phrase, that little sentence there from uh, Gandalf, all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that has been given to us, is actually a great summary, almost a perfect summary of what the Apostle Paul writes to us in the passage that we're going to look at today from Romans chapter 13. So we've been studying Romans for a long time now. We're kind of in the home stretch of our study. We've got just a handful uh, more weeks. Um, And today our message is how to live the rest of your life. We've been calling this series, A Letter That Changed the World, and uh, we want to talk today about how to live the rest of your life. And yet here's the problem as we talk about how to live the rest of your life. Nobody really knows how long the rest of your life is going to be. Well, as I thought about that problem, we don't really know how long uh, the the rest of our life is going to be. Just to prove to you that the internet has an opinion on everything, I don't know if I would recommend these things, but there's some websites out there, I don't know if you know this, where it will actually, if you enter in some information, it will actually give you the day that you are expected to die. And so I went to these and I punched in a little information, my, you know, my height, my weight, my gender, uh, I, uh, whether you smoke or drink, do you have high blood pressure, do you exercise, how much do you sleep, do you wear your seatbelt, all this kind of information. And it spits out a little day that is your expected departure date. And mine came up as October 27th, 2054. 
which even though I know is totally fake and I don't put any stock in it, still it's a little weird to see that date, you know, staring back at you. And it kind of freaked me out um, a little bit. Although I did go ahead and put that date in my calendar so I don't schedule anything else. (laughs) I'd hate to get there and have a dentist appointment or something that day. And so um, I got that, that blocked out October 27th. I looked at another website, same kind of thing, same deal, but they give it to you a little bit different. They actually give you kind of a, a clock that gives you your, your year or tells you how many years you have left, how many years, how many months, how many days, how many hours, how many minutes, and how many seconds. It gives you that, and then the seconds are counting down. And you just look at it, and you see the, 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 the seconds just kind of rolling away, which also sort of freaked me out, but also just made me mad, mostly because I thought, why am I spending so much time on this dumb uh, website? But the point is, in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul uh, talks to us about the rest of our life. And, And he does this, and he points out that time is short. And I don't believe that Paul does that to to freak us out, but he does do it to help us remember that it is not for us to decide how much time that we have, but it is for all of us to decide what we do with the time that we have and to make the most of the days that we live in. How are you going to live the rest of your life, however long that is? So let's jump into our passage. It's Romans 13. I'm going to start by reading in verse 11. Romans 13, 11 starts like this. It says, and do this, talking about how to live your life. He says, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And we're going to come back to those verses in just a little bit. But as we get going, I want you to just see a few things, three things that Paul specifically says about the times that we are living in and the time that we have in our life. Notice three things he says. First of all, he says, the hour has come for us to wake up. He says it's, it's not still down the road. It's not some future time. The hour is now to wake up from your spiritual sleep and your spiritual uh, slumber. He also says salvation is nearer now than it ever was before. So in other words, the seconds are counting down. And whether that's uh, until the Lord returns or until it's the end of our life, he, he says uh, salvation is nearer now than it was before. In fact, it's never been nearer than ever before. And then he says, the night is nearly over. This time that we're living in feels like a time of night and a time of darkness. And he says, if you just look out there, you can almost see the dawn on the horizon. The night is nearly over. And he shares all of that, I believe, because he wants to stir up in us and create in us a sense of urgency. Because he knows that as Christians, we have a tendency to get lazy, to get sleepy. And he says, it's time to wake up. And these are some things that you could be doing. So what we're going to do is we're going to pull apart this passage real simply. I want us to see four things that I believe every Christian living in these times should do. Starting with, we're going to talk about building up, waking up, cleaning up, and suiting up. So let's dig into this. The first thing we have to do is we have to build up love. We have to build up the love that we have. So verse 8 says it like this. Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So I read that, and that's some great stuff on love, but I've got to confess to you before we look at it, I've got to confess to you some really kind of backward, kind of messed up thinking when I first read that, because as I've been kind of preparing over these uh, last uh, time, and I read that passage, my first thought when I, I saw all that long section on love was, seriously, Paul, again, we've been talking about love so much. Because if you remember, and I know all of you remember very clearly, uh, the last time I preached a couple weeks ago, the whole message was on the power of love. And we talked about how to love one another. We talked about how to love your enemies. The whole message was on love. And I thought, seriously, we have to do love again? We just, we just covered that. Now, the way we've talked about this before, but the way uh, Romans works out, the way the book of Romans works out is Paul is all about the good news of Jesus and that we would understand and live, live a life that, that, that reflects that good news of Jesus. And so chapters 1 through 11 are all about kind of this theological explanation of that good news, that though we are sinful, that Christ died in our place, that we can be made righteous through him. And it's this great news. That's chapters 1 through 11. Then you get to chapter 12, and, and basically his train of thought is, because of all that good news, if you've received that good news, this is the way that you should live. This is, you know, kind of how your life should look if you're a good news person. And it begins in chapter 12 uh, by talking about how, as the church, we're to love one another by the sharing of our spiritual gifts. And so it's about love there. And then it talks about how to love your neighbor. And then it talks about how to love your enemy. And so much of all of Romans 12 is about love. Then we came to chapter 13. If you were here last week, you remember um, Steve Steele did a great job talking about uh, government and paying your taxes. Remember how great everybody felt on that day? Um, hey, and by the way, I need to say a little something about that because sometimes Steve Steele complains a little bit about the preaching schedule. Have you guys noticed this? So um, I just want to tell you, don't feel sorry for him. It's only going to encourage him. And the thing that he needs to know, he's had a few tough ones lately, but he needs to understand God makes the preaching schedule. God makes the preaching schedule. I am just the messenger. And so... Anyway, so Paul says, if you're impacted by the gospel, you're, uh, you submit to authority, you obey the government, and you pay your taxes, and then he comes back to this idea of love. And I thought, seriously, Paul, we just spent all this time talking about love, and I need to confess that that's a pretty messed up way to look at this whole topic, because the Christian message of love should never be considered boring or redundant. The message of love is not the easy stuff of Christianity. I think sometimes we think it's kind of the entry level stuff. We get that and then we, you know, move on to the higher level stuff. Love, you guys, is the PhD level heart of the gospel. We can never get to a point as a Christian where it's like, hey, well, I've got that one figured out. You can never talk enough about love. The truth is a Christian can never put love aside and say, well, you know, hey, these times that we're living in, these are really crazy times. And so, you know, it's important that we stand up for truth. And, and even if that means that we're a little mean and we're a little nasty, that's what we have to do. No, the Christian never has the opportunity to put aside love, right? We never can talk about it enough. If we were to talk about love as the topic of the sermon for the next 20 weeks in a row, 
which we're not, but if we were, that would still be okay because love is so much the heart of the Christian message. And Paul gets to why love is so important, and I want to just suggest three ways. First one, if you just kind of dig into that passage, he says, love is a debt that we can never fully repay. He says, let no debt remain unpaid except the ongoing debt to love one another. So as followers of Jesus, we never get to the place where we say, okay, I've loved enough. All right, I can, I've finished with that. I can move on to the next thing. No, because of the love that Christ has shown us, there's a debt that we can never repay to love one another. And scripture says this time and time again. In 1 John, John was, uh, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He actually called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And in 1 John, he says it like this. He says, you can't say that you love God and not love your neighbor. Those two things are incongruent. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, he says, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We talk all the time that Jesus says, this is the way the world's going to know that you're my disciples, by two things, by the way that we obey his commands and by the love that we have for one another. That's how the world will know that we are loved. So love is a debt that we can never fully repay and we'll never get to the end of that. And that is a good thing. That is a really good thing. And his love never gets to the end of loving us. Second thing is that love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul's train of thought is if your true motivation is to love your neighbor, then all the other stuff as far as the commandments of the law are going to make sense. So if you wake up in the morning and I wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know what I really want to do? I want to love others the way that I want to be loved. I want to love my neighbor as myself. You know what's going to happen? We're going to end up obeying the commandments of God because you're not going to commit adultery if your motivation is to love your neighbor because love, adultery is going to hurt other people. Right? It's going to harm other people. You wouldn't commit murder. You wouldn't hate someone. You wouldn't steal or covet because your desire is to see other people lifted up. Your desire is to do to them what you would want done to you. And so Paul says, if, if your main object is just to, to love your neighbor, you're going to fulfill all of the, uh, the matters of uh, the, the, the law uh, completely. Then the third thing in that passage, it says, in the end, love is what matters the most. You will never regret the love that you will show to others. You are never going to get to your life and say, man, I, I just wish I could have, uh, I never get to the end of your life and say, I think I loved too much. That's not the way it works. Uh, you may get to the end of your life and say, I, I regret that I watch so much sports on TV. I, you know, I, I, I can't believe I, you know, played video games so much or I spent all this time on social media. I don't know what it would be but I've never met someone who got to the end of their life and and says, I regret the amount of love that I showed for other people. At the end of life, love is what matters the most. And as Paul is talking about time ticking away, that's his point. His point is you'll never get to the end and say you wished uh, that you had not loved so much. That's not the way it works. In fact, last week uh, was the 20th anniversary of of 9-11, and there were so many really cool tributes. But one of the things that I heard, maybe you heard these too, was there's an, uh, it's like dozens and dozens, maybe even more than that, of recorded messages where someone was either in one of the towers or was on an airplane and they made like a final phone call and maybe they didn't get a live person but they left a message and so you've got these last words from these people and far and away if you look at all of those messages 
not even a, a close second, the number one theme is love. These are just a few of them that I, I, I heard last week. Uh, one is from someone who was on the 102nd story of one of the Twin Towers. And he calls, I think it was a husband to a wife, and he calls and he says, I love you. I'm in the World Trade Center, and the building was hit by something. I don't know if I'm going to get out, but I love you very much. Another who was on one of the planes actually called his, his mom and left this message. Hi, mom. This is Mark. We've been taken over. There are three men. They say they have a bomb. I love you, I love you, I love you. And then finally, someone calls again from, I believe, the towers and says, honey, something terrible is happening. I don't think I'm gonna make it out. I love you, and I love the children. Friends, time is short. When you come to the end, there's a certain clarity that you see, and this reminds us that, that, that now is the time for us to build up love, a surplus of love. So Paul says, hey, with the end coming, you want to build up love. The second thing that I want to focus on is he says you need to not only build up love, but you need to wake up. You need to wake up and live ready for the Lord's return. So time in the New Testament is, is really interesting. And, and on the most basic level, there's almost just two kinds of time in the New Testament. There is this present age, that we are in, and there is the age to come. So kind of just neatly divides up between this present age and the age to come. Now, interestingly, when Jesus came, he ushers in the age to come. He starts to talk about the idea that my kingdom is now. My kingdom is not only in the future. And so by Jesus's ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, his sending of the Holy Spirit— the age to come is already ushered in. It's just, it's already all close to there. But that age doesn't fully come until Christ comes again. And so Paul spends a lot of time talking about this idea that we need to live ready for the Lord's return. He says nobody knows the time and hour, and that's one of the main thing, themes about the teaching. But it also is this, you've got to live ready. Because whether it's the Lord's return or whether it's the end of our life, we know that that is coming for all of us. Let me just read to you 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 4. This is a place that Paul kind of spells it out a little bit. And he talks about the Lord's return by saying this. He said, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And when that trumpet blows, it says the dead in Christ will rise up. After that, we who are still alive and are left here on earth will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you about those things. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so Paul paints this picture that there will be a time when the, you know, the coming on the clouds and the, the trumpet uh, will sound and it says the dead in Christ will, will rise. And then it says those of us that are alive and remain will be called up to, to meet him in the air. You hear this talk about as, as the rapture. Now, Paul doesn't necessarily, in our, our passage in Romans 13, doesn't necessarily allude to those things. But what Paul does talk about is this idea that time is, is, is moving on. And there's the, this kind of allusion or kind of explanation that the Lord's return is coming um, soon. 
And he says it like this. He says, the, the hour of salvation is almost here. The night is nearly over. So his point is, wake up. Wake up. If you have been asleep spiritually in your life, now is the time to wake up. If you are the kind of person who loves to hit the snooze button, anybody, any snooze button hitters in here? See me, I'm like right up out of bed, but my wife can hit that snooze button a few times. Um, Spiritually speaking, if you've been hitting the snooze button, it's time to wake up. It's time to get out of bed. It's time to get going is what he says. Because one of the greatest enemies of God is procrastination. One of the greatest enemies of what God wants to do in your life. Because do you know that God wants to do something great in your life? God's not looking for you to just skate by on the minimum. God wants to see something great done in your life. And one of the greatest enemies of what God wants to do in your life and mine is this idea of procrastination, that I can just put it off and and I'll get to those things um, one day. And Paul says, now is the time to stop procrastinating. In light of the Lord's return, we should live ready. And so kind of the idea is we should be ready to see the Lord face to face because the time is now, Paul is what's saying, that the, the seconds are ticking down. I've shared with some of you before, um, how many of you remember, it's, they're like 20 years old, so they've been around for a while. There was that series of books called, um, uh, uh, what are they called? The, uh, Left Behind, thank you, Left Behind. Um, so these books, Left Behind, there's like 10 of them, a bunch of them, and they start with this idea of the rapture. Um, happens. And um, those books, I should just say something about those books. They are fictional books. Um, They are, you know, there's a lot of speculation. Anytime we apply modern things to an ancient text, we have to be very careful about that. But one thing I will say about those Left Behind books, and I read all of them, I think, is they led to kind of a spiritual sense of waking up. And so the deal was, when I first read those, I was a young pastor, and I was reading these books, and, um, and the plot of the, the books, you may remember, is there's a young pastor who is kind of just going through the motions in his life, and he works at this church, but he's not really even right with the Lord. He doesn't even know the Lord, and the rapture comes, and his sweet wife is taken up, and his kids, and he is left behind, which is terrifying, right? Now, does anybody remember that young pastor's name? Pastor Barnes was the guy. Pastor Barnes is the guy that gets left behind. And so I read that and I thought, oh no, but wait, there's more. Because did you know who the other character is that gets left behind in that book? Do you remember who it is? It's Captain Steele, who's an airline pilot. So the two people that get left behind are Barnes and Steele. If you guys need a minute to choose a new church, we totally get it. We're with you. And I didn't want to put too much into that. But for me, the point that I'm trying to make is, as I read those, even though, I, you know, not that I would agree with every little thing, but there was a sense of, yes, Lord, I want to live ready to see you. I know that I am going to see you one day face to face. And so I want to be ready um, to, see the, to see him face to face. And so Paul calls us and he says, wake up, wake up from your slumber and live ready. Now there's an obvious question that I imagine is on some, if not many, of your minds. I see those skeptics out there. I understand I can be skeptical sometimes too, so I get that. Um, one of the obvious questions is, well, Paul wrote Romans over 1,900 years ago now. Um, Jesus said some of the things that he said almost 2,000 years ago now. So how could you say that the, the time is, is soon? How could you say that it's, it's coming soon? And that's a good question. 
The truth is, every generation of Christian, from that time until now, every generation of Christian is supposed to see this as, as ours, and, and that that time could be, and we should expect that it would be in our generation. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be fixated on world events or try to create world events, but we should try to live with an expectation that that is going to happen in our lifetime. Peter says it like this. Peter says it's, it's not that, that the Lord is slow. It's not that God's not keeping his promise. If anything, he is pre- keeping his promise. Because to, to God, a day is like a thousand years, says Peter. And he's not slow in keeping that promise. He's actually patient and loving, waiting for everybody to know him, and so that when people know him, um, that uh, will happen. But also, it's easy to look around at the world and see that some of the events that the way we understand them in Scripture could, could happen uh, easily in our lifetime and in these times. And so, wake up and live ready is the point that Paul is making. Do you get that? Do you feel that? And yet, I also want to share with you um, a great quote from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has kind of gotten a lot of attention um, in the last year and a half. There's been a lot of end times talk again in our culture. And there's a great uh, quote from C.S. Lewis that he wrote. It must have been in the kind of the 1950s when the atomic bomb was, 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 uh, had just been um, detonated and there was a lot of people living in fear of the the rise of the nuclear age. I definitely, as a kid, I was raised in a time when I was terrified of nuclear war. As a kid, that was my biggest fear was nuclear war. Uh, They used to have us do like little drills as if hiding under your desk was going to somehow keep you safe and I knew that wasn't going to work. But this is what C.S. Lewis writes about the way we should kind of look at the world that we're living in and the threats that we have. He says, in one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. He says, how are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply like this. How should we live? Why, as you have li- would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in the age of the Vikings when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat. Or indeed, as you are already living in the age of cancer, in the age of air raids, the age of railway and motor accidents. In other words, don't let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Every generation has had their thing. And if you have been a a Christian in South Sudan, or if you've been a Christian in Syria, or many other places around the world, you think, how could the Lord have not returned by now? And so he says, be careful of thinking that your situation is too too, uh, unique or, or exaggerating the novelty of your situation. He says, that's the first point to be made. But then I love this. He says, the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together pull ourselves together. That's probably a pretty good word for us these days. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and God-honoring human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, loving the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together in frightened, like, like frightened sheep and thinking only about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. And so Paul says, yes, the end is coming and you need to build up love and you need to wake up and live ready for the Lord's return. And then the third thing that I want to point out is he says, we've got to clean up. We've got to clean up. And specifically, that means we set aside deeds of darkness. Back into our passage in Romans 13, verse 12 
says this. It says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And so it's interesting that Paul says, if you're going to live ready for Christ's return, one of the big ways you're going to do that is that your moral behavior and that your moral character is going to look different from the world around you. And it begs the question, as you evaluate your life, are you living with the holiness? Are you living with the purity that God would have for you as we await for his return? Are we living that pure and holy life that God calls his children to live? And notice Paul gives us a list. Paul's a great list maker throughout the New Testament of different behaviors that we should, should get rid of. And here his list includes six behaviors that he calls deeds of darkness. And he says you put off these deeds of darkness and you put on the armor of light. Which How great of an image is that? Put on the armor of light. And these six deeds of darkness are actually grouped together into three pairs. And so let's just look at those um, quickly. When, when Paul says, put off the deeds of darkness, what is he talking about? The first two that he's talking about could be under the category of self-indulgence. Self-indulgence, this kind of me, me, me sort of attitude. Now, the fruit of God's Spirit in our life, we're told, is one of the fruits is self-control. When God's Spirit is at work in our life, one of the things that we should be growing in is self-control. And yet Paul has to remind us not to give ourselves over to self-indulgence. Now, the Roman culture, very much like modern American culture, didn't like a bunch of rules put on them. Kind of the the rule was the rules change, if anything. And, And kind of the attitude was, if it feels good, do it. So whatever, you know, you wanted to do, whatever you felt like, you know, felt good, whatever it was, you do it. So there was this attitude of kind of of self-indulgence. And Paul says two ways we see it in Rome, and I assume today, is carousing and drunkenness. He says, put off the deeds of darkness, talking about carousing and drunkenness. So what in the world is is carousing? Well, as I looked at that word a little bit, one of the definitions I read is people that roam around, often influenced by drugs or alcohol. It says people that roam around just kind of looking for trouble, just kind of causing a general sense of trouble. And as I thought about our day and the world that that we're in and kind of the things that we're facing these days, I think about kind of this general lack of respect for authority, kind of this general lawlessness that seems to be kind of a part of of our culture these days uh, could fall into this. The lack of respect for government, the lack of respect for police, the lack of respect for teachers, the lack of respect for parents, all kinds of different authorities might fall into kind of this rebellious spirit that, that, that Paul calls carousing. And I think it, it's real in this day that we're living in. And, and can I just take a, a minute here and talk to the parents? Parents, we have got to teach our kids to respect authority. We have got to teach our kids to respect authority. It's honestly one of the most valuable things that we can give them for a healthy and successful life, but it's also what Scripture calls us to. And they're not learning it. They're they're not learning a respect for authority. It's breaking down somewhere. And as I think a little bit about it, I don't want to hit too close to home, but honestly, if all they're hearing at home from their parents or grandparents is, what's wrong with the government? And what's wrong with the school board? And what's wrong with the teachers? And what's wrong with the this and that? How can we expect them 
to respect the authority when they are given their, that chance. And Paul says it, it leads to just kind of this general lack of, of disrespect that's self-indulgent. It's all about me. He, he couples that with the sin of drunkenness. Drunkenness is something we're, you know, familiar with what, what Paul is talking about there. Um, you know, during these last 18 months of, of lockdown and pandemic, one of the things that we've seen is that the rise of, of abuse of drugs and alcohol has skyrocketed again. And one of the things that's a great concern is I think a lot of Christians have just kind of adopted the, the really the approach of, of the world, um, you know, that these things are no big deal. And Paul in Scripture throughout is very clear uh, not to be drunk, whether that's on alcohol, whether it's marijuana, whatever it is. Paul says, you put off those deeds of darkness. And next he says, uh, he talks about the, the, the deeds of darkness, talking about sexual immorality. You know, I know we've said this a few times in our series on Romans that we look at kind of our modern world that we're living in, and this is such a sex-crazed world. There's sexual morality is just all over the place. So it's very easy for a person to say, how in the world can we in this modern world be expected to live to this standard of sexual purity that the Bible talks about? How in the world in this crazy mixed-up day that we live in, how could we expect that sex is between one man and one woman for a lifetime? It just seems like too much. Hey, you would never expect that in our, in our day. But can I just point something out very clearly? And we've talked about this in, in our study of Romans before. We are not the first generation to face these things. That's exactly the way that Rome looked at sex in those times. And Paul still very clearly says, no, don't just give in to that stuff. Put off the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. When he talks about sexual immorality, he uses two words there. They're very general words. Kind of any, anything could kind of fall into those, um, whether it's sex before or outside of marriage, adultery, pornography, lust, homosexuality, all kind of things could kind of fall under that. And Paul says, put off those deeds of darkness. And then he says, put off the deeds of dissension and jealousy. And I don't know about you, but it's always kind of funny to me that he gives us these big, heavy lists of, of things, drunkenness and sexual immorality. And then the next thing is one that I think a lot of us just kind of tolerate, the, 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 the attitude of dissension. And again, that's one that our world is plagued with these days. There are whole industries, right, that are geared to create dissension in our world. And Christians have been buying this stuff hook, line, and sinker. And we're not stronger as a nation because of it. And we're not stronger as a community. We are not stronger as a church. We are not stronger as families. And so Paul says, put off the, de- the, the deeds of darkness of stirring up dissension and jealousy. He says, put off those deeds of darkness because the Lord is coming. We want to see him face to face. We want to be a pure and spotless bride when he comes ready for him. And so he says, put off these things. And then finally, he says this, put off those things and suit up. Suit up by putting on Christ. The last verse that we're looking at today is verse 14. It says, rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So this right here, this is the ultimate Christian fashion statement. This is what you're supposed to wear. This is how you clothe yourself. Uh, what does it mean to, to put on Christ, to clothe yourself in Christ? One of my favorite passages is Colossians chapter 3, where it says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly in love, clothe yourself, put on these things. And then it starts to list the things of Christ. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. It says, forgive one another. And over all these virtues, put on love. And if we live that kind of life, it's as if we're putting on Christ. Suit up, put on Christ. 
But to put on Christ also means that we identify with Jesus as one of his children. And one of the best ways that we can identify with Jesus is through baptism. Baptism identifies us with the family of God. And so I mentioned there, you heard at the beginning of the service, we're going to, to kind of transition now to a time of, of singing and worship, but also to uh, witnessing some people that are being baptized. And so I, I think we have four in this service. So if you are here and you're going to be baptized, come on up. I'm going to meet you right up front here. Okay, you guys. Come on, Ruth. Come on up. We'll be right here. So you guys are so brave to come and be with your church family here. And um, so we often say that baptism is not what saves us. God doesn't love us anymore because we're baptized. Um, but ba- baptism is us identifying not only with the family of God, but identifying ourselves with Christ. And so we've talked a lot about this before. Kind of the symbol is that we're buried to our old life and we're raised again to new life. We are new creations in Christ. And so we had several in the first service and these four um, that are ready now uh, to be baptized as we sing together. And so I asked each of them, um, you got to hold this and you got to hold it real close, um, to answer two questions. And so the two questions are, uh, tell us how you came to know Jesus as your Savior and then why you are ready to be baptized. And so this is Parker um, Lucas. His family's right over here. Parker grew up in this church. And so tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus and why you want to get baptized. The way I came to know Jesus is I was was born into a church family Mm -hmm. and like the reason I like want to be baptized is like everything has been going on on like all the sad stuff in in a lot of people's families and also it's like a way to show that you want to give your life to God and like fully renew yourself as a new person that's awesome Parker how old are you 10 10 awesome well we're really excited for you pretty wise for a 10 year old huh huh thank you that was awesome all right Joseph and his wife uh, Lorena tell us a little bit about uh, your decision here um so I kind of wrote some stuff down um I Came to know Jesus uh, as my savior, as growing up as a child, um, similar to Parker. Um, I wanted to become baptized today because I'm surrendering myself to God. I've uh, been a religious man my whole life, and, uh, you know, tired of kind of the back and forth relationship, you know what I mean? Like That's you right. said, we've got to not be so uh, mm-hmm. procrastinate, you know, that type of thing. It's been a long journey, and uh, <clears throat> God, as we know it, has always been there uh, for me and my family, as he has for all of us. Um, in this current moment, uh, my family needs him more than ever. And I know that working, uh, he's working harder than ever for us. Uh, so I know that I need to uh, work just as hard as he is working for me with him. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that, uh, uh, that at First Baptist, from the first day we walked through the doors, um, I felt like uh, just as comfortable as I was in my own home. You know, um, and I just felt a sense of togetherness and our love for God and Jesus Christ. And I just want to say thank you for everyone here. Yeah, thank you, Joseph. That's awesome. Hey, and I don't want to say too much, but this is a really significant time. Joseph's facing some health concerns right now. And so um, for him to be able to stand up here and say, man, this is the time we need the Lord, we are with you. And I'm excited. And this is your wife, Lorena. Tell us your story. Hello, my name is Lorena. I started coming to First Baptist about four years ago. Prior to that, I have um, Catholic background and I was raised as um, Catholic, and my parents baptized me when I was a baby, which I am very thankful for. 
they're actually here. Oh, very um, good. Thank you. I believe in God because I've experienced his presence and his work in my life. So I'm now I'm ready to make it official for myself and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Awesome. That's so great. That's great. And next we have Ruth. Brad, Ruth, I am so happy to see you up here. Tell us your story. Um, so I also grew into a Christian household. So uh, Jesus has always been very present in my life. But I think when I had to move out of my safe space and go to college and experience the highs and lows of being a college student, I think I held on for dear life uh-huh. for like that relationship that I had with the Lord because it was the only thing that was holding me together. Um, so I think that was when I finally like decided, okay, I want to pursue this relationship and I want to follow him and like let him take the wheel. Um, so yeah, that's how I, that's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, Ruth grew up both in Spanish and English church and, uh, Pastor Augusto is going to meet, uh, you back there. So, well, Hey, this is awesome. And I'll tell you what, you guys can head on back there and get ready and we'll meet you back there in just a few minutes. There's Steve's right over there and Augusto's in there too as well. Uh, so we have these four, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing. Um, and let me just give you a, a little logistics. First of all, kind of keep your eye over here because the, the light will go that direction um, and the baptisms will happen. I don't want you to miss those. Um, and also, if you're here today and you've surrendered your life to Christ but have not yet been baptized and God is calling on you to take that step, you've been procrastinating and you're ready to take that step of faith, we invite you. We have got some shorts and shirts back there. Um, would love to meet you and you would be more than welcome um, to join us. But why don't we stand together? And God, I thank you so much for a chance to open up your word, make the church that wakes up and is alive in you. Lord, we thank you for those testimonies of faith. Help us, Lord, to sing and to worship you with all our heart, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.